The Leslie if Marshall you miss Wrestling, the only true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. On this Friday, how you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk. Thank you for listening and for watching. Listening on radio, on iTunes. Is it iTunes or uh, iHeartRadio, American Armed Forces Radio Network, podcast, stream, wherever you listen to the show, Progressive Voices. And also you can watch the show on Twitter's Periscope, on Facebook Live, LinkedIn Live, and YouTube Live. Thank you for joining us. I'm Leslie Marshall, and I am live. I am alive, although some days I feel like ah, I shouldn't be, or I'd love to sleep for a very long time. Anyway, uh, in this hour, we have some great news that we need to uh, tell you about, and our great news, but share with you the news and the news of the day. And we have a guest joining us in the second half of the hour, so be sure to stick around for that. But first, let's kick it off and check what's ripped. The White House today said there is a new website, covidtest.gov. That's covidtests, plural, .gov, C-O-V-I-D-T-E-S-T-S dot gov. It's going to begin accepting orders January 19th for free rapid tests shipped to our homes, we hear in the United States. Now, why does this matter? Well, the White House emphasized the importance of testing during this surge, this Omicron surge. And President Biden yesterday announced plans for the government to have one billion tests, with a B, driving the news Americans can order four tests per residential address. That's four tests per household. And uh, that's beginning January 19th from that website. That website, once again, covidtest.gov. Now, the tests are going to ship within seven to 12 days of ordering. Senior administration officials said this during a press call today. The timeline will shorten as the programs ramp up. The U.S. Postal Service will package and deliver the test with orders in the continental U.S. sent through first-class package service. And what they're saying, senior administration officials from the Biden administration, is there are lots of ways to get the test. This is just one more, right? There are many ways to get the test. This is just another. Now, if you want to take a flashback, the debacle surrounding the rollout of healthcare.gov, that website during the Obama administration, Well, that looms over any government agency, any government administration, any party left or right trying to launch a new government website. Senior administration officials say they're confident this site will be able to keep up with the demand in case that crossed your mind. The U.S. Digital Service, a group of government technologies, has assisted the Postal Service with the website. Um, They said, quote, we didn't start from scratch. Uh, They added that the Postal Service already has a website that does sell goods to the public. It has for quite some time. And, of course, every website launch poses some risks, so they're cognizant of it, aware of it, but not concerned by it. They are very confident they'll be able to uh, get the – be able to hold the amount of volume 
that's going to be out there. But I do want to say something. This morning I was listening to an interview uh, with a, 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 a physician who was a COVID specialist from UCLA. And they basically said, if you can't get a test, if you even have a little cough, you probably have Omicron. And you should just start treating yourself as such until you can get that test. Because CDC says quarantine for five days, right? So, you know, if you wait for the test, if you can't get the test right away, um, or quite frankly, if you get a test and you're negative, I had this happen in my family. Um, they, some people tested negative, and then a few days later, they tested positive. It takes a while sometimes for the um, test to pick up the virus in your system, especially if you have a very small amount of the COVID virus. And that can be the case with the way this uh, Omicron is spreading. There's a lot of people out there have negative tests but have symptoms, and there's people out there that have positive tests and have no symptoms. So if you have symptoms, start treating yourself as if you have uh, COVID, even if you don't have your test yet. And this is one, yet another way that you can uh, get tested. Let's rip uh, a, a, another. And uh, yes, th thank you, Mark. Uh, what they're saying, um, they are saying three to five days after you get symptoms is the best time to take the test. So, you know, you get sick, start treating yourself. The treatment for Omicron is very similar to the flu um, or more specifically bronchitis. If you have, you go see your doctor, you can get an inhaler, you can get some steroids. That's for people that need those. Some people just need Tylenol, vitamin D, C, zinc, um, and uh, over-the-counter things like Dayquil and uh, NyQuil. That's, uh, that I'm not a physician. I'm not giving medical advice. I'm telling you what has worked for the people that I know in my family and circle of friends and peers um, that have either had the symptoms, even if they've tested negative, had no symptoms and tested positive, or had symptoms and tested positive as well. Let's rip another. President Biden yesterday announced a surge deployment of military medical personnel to support hospitals currently dealing with a spike of COVID-19 cases largely driven by this Omicron variant. Example, 90% of the cases here in California, actually over 90%, are Omicron now. Doesn't mean Delta's completely gone. They say a lot of those people in the hospital might actually have Delta, not Omicron. Now, Omicron's surge in cases driving the news has led to a higher number of total hospitalizations. Hospitals are having to treat more and more patients in the midst of staffing challenges and faced with a highly transmissible virus that does not spare our healthcare workers. That's what CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said the day before yesterday. Here's the state of play. Starting next week, a thousand military personnel are going to be sent to hospitals in six states that are the most burdened right now. New York, New Jersey, Ohio, Rhode Island, Michigan, and New Mexico. Now, this is in addition to the over 800 military and other emergency personnel who are already deployed to 24 states, tribes, and U.S. territories since Thanksgiving. That includes over 350 military doctors, nurses, and medics helping out hospitals and staff there. Over 14,000 National Guard members have also been activated in 49 states to support clinical care, testing, and vaccination efforts. And the president said he has also directed FEMA to work with every state, territory, and the District of Columbia to make sure they have enough hospital bed capacity. In case you think the president and his administration aren't doing anything. Sounds like a lot. The president also announced he is directing his team to purchase 500 million more rapid tests. I just told you about that. That's on top of the half a billion ordered in uh, December. Okay, so half a million more on top of the half a billion. And he also has reminded we the people to get vaccinated and boosted as well to wear well-fitted masks indoors. People are saying my kids now have to wear an N95 or a KN95. They're thicker and they fit better than those flimsy 
paper ones. Do I have my flimsy paper one hanging about? Um, and, um, uh, anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, well-fitted masks indoors. Adding that a third of Americans are currently choosing to not wear a mask beside them being widely available. Look, this isn't about protecting you, okay? This is about protecting others. This is about the greater good. I have people in my family who say masks don't work. Really? Really? I just saw footage of 9-11 yesterday. You know, what you know what everybody's wearing? A mask. You know when you go in for surgery, what are they wearing? A mask. You know when you go into an area where people are sick, they're wearing masks. In COVID units, they're wearing masks. Uh, does a mask keep you safe 100%? No. But if you have a well-fitting mask... You're, you know, and, and you have droplets around you that can't get in unless they're into your eyes. We know that, you know, it can come through the eyes. But it's just one more way to help reduce the possibility of infection, okay? Uh, unvaccinated people, by the way, the reason uh, they're also talking uh, about keeping up with the vaccines, uh, unvaccinated people, and my mother is one of them, has COVID pneumonia. She's in the hospital right now and climbing the walls with craziness and loneliness, no exaggeration. Unvaccinated people are 17 times more likely to get hospitalized. And as a result, the president said, quote, they're crowding our hospitals, leaving little room for anyone else who might have a heart attack or an injury in an automobile accident or any injury at all. So true. My husband's an orthopedic surgeon. He has people with broken bones. He cannot treat them. There's not enough staff to help him. And there isn't enough room in the hospital for them. Now, uh, the president said next week his administration will announce how it will make high-quality masks available to all Americans. The administration will also roll out a website next week where you can order that free test. I just told you about that and have it shipped to your home. Uh, let's rip another. Oh, I have to, let me do this one quick. And uh, National Nurses United, a labor union with more than 175,000 members nationwide, organized several strikes across the country yesterday, calling on the hospital industry to invest in safe staffing. The healthcare industry has struggled against the backdrop of heightened health risk, worker shortages, and burnout largely exacerbated by the onslaught of the coronavirus. So a slew of nurses, frontline techs, and other healthcare professionals launched several strikes throughout the nation. Last year, the healthcare industry lost more than 540,000 jobs between February 2020 and September 2020. The union also called on the CDC to strengthen the isolation recommendation for healthcare workers and the public, adding that the latest guidelines are motivated by employers. That's what's ripped from the headlines. When we come back, more with Ripping the Headlines Part 2. I'm Leslie Marshall and our guests later in the hour, the second half, right after this Don't Go Away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We are back on Leslie Marshall. Happy Friday. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. I hope all of you are doing well. I hope the weather is good where everybody is. Here in Cali, it's about 72 degrees and sunny. Clear skies, a little bit hazy. I know I'm rubbing it in your face there. I hope everybody's healthy. Please wear a mask. Get your vaccines. Get your boosters. Social distance. Be responsible if you can. Eat outdoors. You know, get things delivered you got to be careful. I have so many people in my family with COVID right now. It's uh, it's insane. And I know a lot of you know family members or friends, right, or coworkers uh, that, that have it. The numbers just keep going up. Anyway, let's check what is continuing with a ripped from the headlines. The Biden administration warned the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, a Republican, that it will take back the state's COVID-19 relief aid if it does not redesign programs that use the funding to discourage schools from mandating masks. Now, can you imagine that? You're getting money from COVID and you're trying to use it to discourage schools from having children wear masks. 
The state has two programs. They're directed to schools and students. However, these programs take funding away from school jurisdictions that have imposed mass requirements. So one of the programs provides $163 million in funding to schools that do not require face coverings. Another one offers up to $7,000 for parents if their kids' school mandates, uh, uh, mandates masks. So, so here's the deal. You know, this isn't like Trump going, I don't want to give you money because you didn't vote for me. Um, this is the government simply saying these schools, whether they have a mask mandate or not, both deserve to have the funding. You can't just give it to the schools that discourage the mask mandates. The Treasury Department sent a letter to the governor, Governor Ducey, saying that he has 60 days to redesign those programs in a way that meets the aid's intent. What is the intent? To help curb the pandemic. The department also said the administration will withhold future federal aid if there are no changes implemented. The Treasury Department's letter said, quote, by discouraging families and school districts from following this guidance, the conditions referenced above undermine efforts to stop the spread of COVID-19. Accordingly, these school programs as currently structured are ineligible uses of the federal aid. This letter is the latest example of a president that is completely out of touch with the American people. That's what Governor Ducey said. No, my tax dollars are paying for your schools to get money. You shouldn't punish the schools that say to children, you have to wear a mask. My kids are wearing masks in school right now. When it comes to education, President Biden wants to continue focusing on masks. In Arizona, we're going to focus on math and getting kids caught up after a year of learning loss. If you go to school with a mask, you're not going to do better or poorer in math. Okay? I suck at math. Sadly, so does my son. And you know what? His grades have nothing to do with where he wear, whether he wears a mask or not. As a matter of fact, children don't have as much problem about wearing masks that the adults do. The adults are the ones whining about it. The kids aren't whining. My, my kids just like, you know, it's in their pocket. They pull it out. They put it on. It's part of their life right now. And hopefully it'll be a temporary part of their life. You know, I was reading yesterday and I reposted something on Facebook where somebody born in a certain year, um, you know, they lived through the Spanish flu, World War One, you know, World War Two, you know, Vietnam, uh, Korea, they, you know, the, the depression and all of this stuff. And we've really got to stop our whining. Uh, the CDC, by the way, recommends universal indoor masking in all schools, and that's regardless of vaccination status. Uh, let's rip another. Well, I take a listen to this. Uh, we have some audio here. This is the notorious disseminator of COVID information, Mr. Joe Rogan himself. He admits that Josh Seps, am I saying it right, made him, quote, look dumb in the podcast vaccine debate. Take a listen. For young boys in particular, there's an adverse risk associated with the vaccine. It's like yes. a two to four fold increase in the instances of myocarditis. Yes, but you know what? Hospitalization. The, you know that there's COVID. an increased risk of myocarditis in among that age cohort from getting COVID as well, which exceeds the risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. I don't think that's true. I don't think it it's is. true. I don't. No, no, no. I don't <laughs> think it's true that there's an increased risk of myocarditis from people catching COVID that are young versus increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. No, there is. There's both. Pro well, let's look that up because I don't think that's true. <laughs> There's myocarditis more common after COVID-19 infection than vaccination. But is this with children? Uh, yeah, we're talking about young people. Men and boys aged under 30 after this is what it says here. With, with children is the issue. Well, no, we were talking about 15-year-olds. Well, we're talking about young children. Male child. Yes, 12 to 17. 12 to 17, more likely to develop myocarditis within three months of catching COVID at a rate of 450 cases 
per million infection. This compares to 67 cases of myocarditis per million of the same time following their second dose of Pfizer. Yeah, so you're about eight times likelier to get myocarditis from getting COVID than from getting the vaccine. That's interesting. Now, that, that is said, not what I've read before, but also it's like... When, even when we're reading these things, it's like, what are we getting this from? Is this from well, the VAERS report? But even from the VAERS reports, when they report this stuff, it's like the amount of people that report, the, um, like it's the under-reporting. Oh, are we back? Sorry. Checking my text messages and listening to my dog howl uh, outside my home studio here. This is the problem with the Joe Rogans of the world. And I have some in my own family, sadly. Um, they read one article that's usually a blog, and they run with it. Or they read one thing by one doctor and an outlier. This was the this is the whole ivermectin thing. Can I can I be very straight with you about ivermectin? In uh, 2012, I had a rare parasite called nathostoma. Look it up; it's disgusting. I had nathostomiasis. It's the only parasite in the world with teeth. Okay, I could have been an episode of and it should have been of monsters inside me. I had to take ivermectin. Because it's not just a dewormer, it's an antiparasitic. And uh, I had to take it for months. It actually messed up my liver. Um, I felt sick. I had weight loss. Um, it was toxic. And I had to take it to kill this parasite, which the medication eventually did. But um, it, it, it's toxic. It, it, it is poison. You can feel the toxic poison rushing through your veins. And, and, it, and it has zero evidence of helping uh, with COVID. So uh, please don't don't get your medical advice from Joe Rogan because I know if you break a bone you're going to see an orthopedic surgeon like my husband or if you have cancer or a heart attack you're not going to see a talk show host I'm a talk show host don't see me if you have any health issues don't see Joe Rogan or any other talk show host let's rip another my dog is going crazy outside as you can hear sorry President Biden met with Senators Joe Manchin Democrat from West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema, Democrat from Arizona, at the White House uh, on uh, last night to discuss voting rights after they reaffirmed their opposition to reforming the filibuster. The president and other Democrats want the Senate's filibuster rules changed in order to pass voting rights legislation. And if you think Democrats are just doing a power grab, in 2017, Mitch McConnell tweaked uh, the filibuster so that he could have three uh, Supreme Court justices pushed through. As a matter of fact, the last one named Amy Comey Barrett eight days before an election. Representatives from Manchin and Cinema did not immediately respond to the request for comment from Axios, uh, but long have been opposed to abolishing the 60-vote Senate filibuster, which is exactly what McConnell did in 2017. Yesterday, Cinema said such a mood would worsen the disease of division in the U.S. and called changing the rules a perilous course of action. She's dividing my party. Uh, the Democrats. And by the way, I, a little birdie tells me she plans on running uh, for president in 2024, if you want a good laugh. And so therefore, she wants to appeal to both left and right. That's what's ripped from the headlines. Uh, um, oh, should we play this real quick, the audio uh, uh, in the days after January 6th, Marky Mark? Okay. Okay, I guess we don't. Okay, can't play a 22-second clip in 10 seconds. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have our guest and more right after this. Don't go away. Hey, 
we're back. Happy Friday. Welcome or welcome back, everybody listening, everybody watching. I'm Leslie Marshall. Today we have Marjorie Margolis. Marjorie has experienced the peaks and valleys of politics and parenting. I know that one. Throughout her career as a journalist, member of Congress, advocate for women's leadership worldwide, and mother of 11 children. Oh, my God. I'm I'm getting ill. <laughs> I have two. That's like ah, 11. I, I share uh, your pain. <laughs> no, no, you got me, girl. You went on this. Uh, mother of 11 children in a non-traditional family of multiple hues, cultures, and religions. She's been a trailblazer. She has a memoir, her latest, and How Are the Children?, and she imparts wisdom and inspiration with herself, uh, w- w- with her with her humor. Uh, Marjorie is the president and founder of Women's Campaign International, WCI. They're an organization that provides political, economic, and social advocacy training for women in dozens of foreign countries. WCI has yielded phenomenal success, such as doubling the number of women in parliaments worldwide. In 1992, Marjorie was elected to represent the great state of Pennsylvania in the House of Representatives, making her the first woman ever elected to Congress from Pennsylvania in her own right. She was defeated after one term because she became the main target of Republicans after she cast the deciding vote to approve the budget of President Bill Clinton. And if you remember, during the Clinton years, we had a very strong economy. The website for Women's Campaign International, WCI, is womenscampaigninternational.org. On Twitter, their handle is at Women's Campaign. Please Follow them there. Marjorie, welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I want to give just, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the book and uh, a synopsis uh, of the book. Um, In your book, you discuss becoming a member of Congress in the year of the woman. Uh, You deal with the vote that caused you to lose your seat. Uh, By doing the right thing, you address the current state of politics, the challenges to American democracy and the refugee uh, situation. Uh, There's so much to talk about with this. First of all, why did you decide to write this book now and include those areas of your life? Because you've had a very full life, obviously. That's a good question. I I have absolutely no idea. I really don't. It just, (laughs) you know, thank you very much. Uh, You know, as somebody who interviews, it's really it's really a skill not to answer a question. (laughs) Um, Let me tell you how all of this started. Many, many years ago, I I adopted two little girls before I got married. Um, One was seven from Korea. Now she is a serious old person. And the second one was half Vietnamese, half American from Vietnam. And I wrote a book called They Came to Stay. And um, and and it became uh, I say it loosely, but it became kind of a must read in the adoption community that, you know, when you were adopting kids, you, you read this. The first one was, oh, I, I want one of those. The second one was, oh my goodness, I, yikes, because she was so difficult. Can um, I interject for a second? Because I want to tell you something. I have two children, one after 13 IVF cycles, but my son I adopted from Pakistan. And I read your book years ago. My son is now 14. And I, I I read your book and knowing that I was going to come on for you to say that um, I remember your book. It was helpful to me doing an international adoption. And uh, so I want to thank you for that. So I am one of those people that knew it was a go to book. And, you know, you say they they came to say today. So true. Somebody told me in the process, you don't find your child. They find you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and in the book, one of the chapters is they stayed. Yes. You know, the, yes. Because people always ask me, 
what in the world ever happened to Lee Hay and Holly? So I, I talk about, now Holly was a writer. Unfortunately, she died, but um, Holly was a writer. And um, she was in the process of writing a book entitled uh, 100 Ways to Play with Yourself. She was the funniest. I mean, she was hilarious. I, I mean, I can tell you Holly's stories. Uh, you know, Holly was my kid who called up and said, suppose you get married or pregnant first? Yeah, she, she was forever. She was a street child. She came smoking at six. I don't know if you remember that part of the book. She was she was a pickpocket. Actually, I you know what I I, I do remember that now that you say it. I read I read a lot of books on adoption. I do remember that because I was adop- I was adopting an infant, so that that wasn't a concern. Um, but I, I was horrified. I mean, that a six year old child was smoking. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean she she was she, she was amazing. She was amazing. She has two her she has two kids now who are grown. And then I married somebody with four girls. So when I got married, we had we had six girls and then we had two boys. And then uh, for me, this is the most fun part of the book. Uh, Hillary wrote the, the, the forward. And and I had the kids insert things in the book about how crazy it was to grow up in a house like ours. And and I tell you this story, I'm kind of inserting. But when we. We, we moved back to the Philadelphia area and we got a call from one of the Lutheran family services and they said, we have a refugee family for you that we have a hard time placing. Would you take a woman, doesn't speak any English, Vietnamese, and her four-year-old son? And we said, sure. And it was a woman, a four-year-old son, and he was just amazing. And then several months later, they, they said that there were two cousins. Would we take the cousins? And we said, sure. And then about a year or so later, we found they found her husband. So, um, so it, it was a family that lived with us for 25 years, and I know, I know. Um, and and Vu, who is who was the four-year-old, is now an anesthesiologist, and he has three kids. And his thing, I mean, I, I love this. He's not a kid anymore. But as we were taking one of our vacations, and this is how the book starts. Um, as we were taking one, one of the vacations, he said to me, what would have happened to me had my folder been on a different desk that day? And that's, I mean, that's the whole, the whole family's like that. I mean, it's it, these random, this random group of people all thrown together with all of these kids and, you know, and, 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 and you know, and kind of grownups. And it was really, and, and that's what, that's what it's about. But the reason, in answer to your question, the reason I wrote it is because, so much happened because of that. I mean, I I, I did this r- drive-by in, in Congress. My my de- my district, you will appreciate. That's hysterical, it. a drive-by in Congress. <laughs> but it, um, I, I, it was a Republican district, and I was a Democrat. It, it had never had, it, not even close, it had never had um, a Dem. And, and then I had that, that vote. And it was also the year that, that Newt, took you know, that it, it, the Congress changed. And then I became the leader of our delegation for the Beijing conference, the women's conference. And then when I came back, we were kind of, t- the White House said, we got to get more women to the table. So I started Women's Campaign International. And that's the flow of the book. You know, what we're trying to do is figure out what the, just yesterday, I was just, uh, just talking to some people about what we do is we do a lot of, you know, um, trainings of, you know, why do women always say they're sorry? Why do, why do women always, I'm saying it, it's not true with, not, you know, we're so cool. We don't do this. We do it all the time. Um, but one of the things that women do 
traditionally is and all over the world they'll say perhaps i shouldn't be saying this now and then you and then you finish the sentence or i'm sorry but and you marginalize what you have to say so that's what we've been doing and all over the world women do the same it's really fascinating so that's the reason why i thought it would be a good time to write the book and the kids insert you know in do a lot of the writing in in the book Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking more about it. we got to take a quick break, but we'll be back. You haven't just written this book, though. You've authored five books. You've right. won an Emmy. Uh, you were a congresswoman. And you were the first single American woman to adopt internationally. You are a woman of first. We'll be back with you. Uh, I just, uh, I, I love you already, and you've only been on the show for a few minutes. Um, uh, really great to have you with us. Uh, she's founder of Campaign International. We'll be back with her and talk about and how are the children right after this. We are back. When I say we, I'm Leslie Marshall, and my guest is Marjorie Margolis. Marjorie is mother of 11 children. Like I said, she was a member of Congress, and she also founded WCI, president and founder of WCI, Women's Campaign International. We're talking about a book she's written. It's her fifth, and How Are the Children? She's an Emmy Award winner. Check out the website for Women's Campaign International. WCI is uh, womenscampaigninternational.org, and their Twitter handle is at Women's Campaign. Be sure to follow them there. Marjorie, thank you for holding uh, and welcome back. Um, I want to know because they're, you know, my friends call me Wonder Woman, having two children, a dog, a company being on radio they? and television and all that. But you got me beat there. Um, how did you manage to balance a, a, a demanding career and raising 11 children and running for office and starting this great organization? I mean, how do you do it all? Because I often feel like, and I know many women uh, and men as well, uh, but many women, especially watching, feel like, like I do, the guy at the circus with the, the plate spinning, right? And he's got all the little rods on the ground and he's running back and forth and spinning the plates. And that's how I feel most how, days. How uh, old are your kids? Uh, my are kids you? are 13 and 14. Ah, okay. Is one of them a girl? I have one girl and one boy. I, I, I always say, you know, call me when you have a 14-year-old girl. Um, it, it, it's, it's such a dear question. It doesn't always work. Uh, you know, we had a, a, a household with an awful lot of people. Sometimes it just fell apart. And, you know, so it just, it's a matter of having, I have a very long fuse, which sometimes works and sometimes drives the kid crazy. But everything, um, I've... I was just talking to somebody about one of my favorite parts of the book um, was the woman who the Vietnamese woman who came to live with us for all of those years was very eccentric. And um, she knew that if you put acid in a gardenia plant, the gardenias become I mean, we had these huge I mean, we had indoor gardenias of this size. And she was absolutely convinced, and I think she was likely right, was that the littlest boy, our littlest boy, Andrew, who is now an old person, um, would pee in them in the morning, would make a wee-wee in the gardenia plants. And it was, it, it worked, and because that was the acid that it needed. And I would, I would, we would walk down the steps and we'd see this, these little, the buns and, and Andrew making a wee. But sometimes he would do it when guests would be there. And I would say to him, sweetie, when people are here, you can't make a wee-wee into the gardenia plants. Oh, okay. My parents, 
my, <laughs> were the most wonderful people. Um, they just couldn't believe this kind of thing. I mean, they would walk in and they said, what's he doing? Um, but yeah, so I think it's about opening up. And my kids say to me, although, believe me, it, it, when I talk about peaks and troughs, we had a lot of them. My kids really do say to me, I think I could land any place. And most of them have. I mean, most of them have gone on all, all different kinds of ventures. And, um, and some of it worked and some of it didn't work. And when it didn't work, it fell apart. And, you know, we, we just became, I became resilient. Um, that was it. And it, it, it sounds, you know, I look back on it and I think, hmm, how in the world did I ever, I was talking last night. I was talking to um, uh, Lin Chang, whom I served with in Congress, and she said, she said I, I, I totally forgot about it. She said, I'll never forget, we were in telecommunications, we, we had a hearing, and it was a very big deal. Some, you know, twinkly was in there before us and everything like that, and, and I, I got, uh, somebody came in and said uh, <laughs> that one of my kids hadn't been picked up from school. Um, so I left. I mean, when I sat down again, Lynn said to me, what in the world would pull you out? And I said, well, my kids wasn't picked up from school and I had to straighten it out. But so so it didn't. And I, I totally forgot that. But of course, she wouldn't because she thought it was so strange. And it was yeah, that, that somebody would do that. Yeah, that's part of the balancing act. When you. Uh, OK, you were raised Jewish, right? You, you were Jewish. You Ju- right. And then a Lutheran church calls you to take in refugees. When they called you, did you have any idea it would be for 20 plus years? Because I say that because I know my family has helped refugees in the past, and it's usually a brief stop on the way to their permanent. Yeah, we had done three or four before. It was six months. One was two years, which, you know, but yeah, they were short stays. I had no idea. We had no idea. But it, it... it's they settled in and they were sometimes they were but they settled in and they were strange. All the kids went to college. Um, all of it. It was I was surprised that they I was even surprised when we look back on it, that that they had been there that long, um, you know, because the years just kind of fly mm-hmm. by. They were there for 25 years. And Vu, who I, it, it's worth it to have Vu on because he's such a doll. Um He's just a huge character now. He's an anesthesiologist, and he has three kids, and uh, and he's and all the kids really. Did he consider you like a second mom because you? you, Oh my gosh, he was in the home. Oh my gosh, we were his legal guardians. As a matter of fact, he would often come over to me, and he would because his mother thought I was way too. um, She would say I was I was way too easy. She would say you know, and he would always come. He came over to me in the middle of all of this. They, they, so half of the family was Catholic, half of the family was Jewish. He came over to me in the middle of these, this, and, and it was so cute. And he said, I think I'm supposed to be bar mitzvahed. And <laughs> I said, no, sweetie, that's not. <laughs> that, you're oh, Catholic. That's it. You're, stay in your lane. <laughs> I think we say it in the book, but his mom wanted to, him to be a priest. And, and so I was really, I mean, and he's, his, his, his Vietnamese is his English is perfect. His mother never really learned how to speak English. Um, so, he, so, the, so the kids needed you for that. When you were a single, no, but, woman, but he would come over to me. He would come over to me, and he would say, "My mom wants me to be a priest. I'm too horny to be a priest." Oh my god! <laughs> he, he was. I mean, our household was filled with ridiculousness. Go on. I didn't mean and, to and, and no filter, right? Um, when you were single and decided to adopt as a single woman and and you were the first single woman to do international adoption 
um, there, there, there were many challenges, I would imagine. Can you speak to wh- why you made the decision to do that single back in the day when single women weren't doing this? And not only that, but in addition, adopting hard to place children. Well, I, I had done a series, as you well know, as you, you've been doing this for years, I had done a series on hard to place kids. And it turned out that there was a Holt International comes from Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, they had placed a lot. Of, I know that. I know that uh, organization well. Yeah. Uh, and they had certainly never dealt with anybody. They're fundamentalists. They had not never dealt with anybody who was single nor Jewish. But I was doing a series of stories and I fell in love with this one group. They would have picnics with kids, um, Korean kids, and they would all get together. And I did a series of stories on this. And I asked my desk, it was CBS, if I could follow it up in Korea. Um, and they said, sure, you know, why not? Um, and, and I got way too involved in it. I tried to adopt here in the United States and I knew that I wanted to take a hard to place kid. Um, I, I'm not so, my parents had also sponsored kids, but I wanted to take a hard to place kid. But at that time, for very good solid reasons, they were not putting African-American kids who were the hard to place kids they weren't putting them in white families and certainly not in a white single family. So I was doing this story and I thought, well, this will be interesting. And my parents thought I was certifiable. I mean, totally certifiable. Um, and, uh, and that's how it happened. And, and I, now let me ask you a question. How, how much, I just got a low battery on my phone. Can I get my, can I plug in? Um, I, I don't know. That would be my producer to ask. We oh, only no, have I'm two fine. minutes. I'm fine. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we okay. only yeah we only have two two All minutes right. left. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, the have the so much to talk about because you adopted refugee kids and, and and hard to place kids. Right now, we have a lot of discussion about refugees uh, and vast numbers of refugees coming into the country today, Afghanistan as of late. What is your view on the vast numbers of refugees coming uh, into this country? One of the things that Women's Campaign International has started is trying to work. We had a program in Afghanistan. Thank goodness we were able to get our uh, the woman who ran it out. And we're not now trying to get a lot of the women who helped us out. We had two ministers, one government ministers. One was immediately killed who were helping us, killed by the Taliban. Another we got out with his six kids. That's what we were doing we're we're a wonderful country. It's very difficult, uh, I, and and this is exactly what we should be doing. Uh, I was with Clinton and and one of Boo's kids, who had just read Clinton's book. He was ten years old. He walked over to Clinton and he said, "Can I talk to you about it?" And Clinton said, "Sure." And Clinton came over to me afterwards and he said, "This is what it's all about. This is what refugees are all about. Why are we why are we bad mouthing them? They're they're." all different kinds of complicated problems with the refugee population now. But this is who we are. Absolutely. We're out of time. You know, we're going to have to have her back because uh, you're just delightful, Marjorie. Marjorie Margolis and How Are the Children is the book. Check out the WCI, the Women's Campaign International. Like I said, you can go to their website, womenscampaigninternational.org, and you can follow them on Twitter at Women's Campaign. I'm Leslie Marshall. Marky Marcomaldi is our executive producer. Have a wonderful weekend, uh, a long weekend for many of you who uh, celebrate and embrace uh, the Martin Luther King holiday on Monday. I'm 
your host, Leslie Marshall. Have a good one. And Marjorie, thank you once again. You've been uh, a joy to have on today. Thanks for having me.